0: Kia ora, you're listening to an Auckland Libraries podcast. Welcome to the Heritage Talks podcast, bringing you the best in local and family history from Aotearoa New Zealand, the Pacific and beyond. Your heritage now. No mai, haere mai. Nga Pa ro, o Tamaki Makaurau Auckland Libraries holds oral histories and sound recordings that contribute to a diverse and ranging Auckland Stories archive. In this presentation, principal oral history advisor Sue Berman will share voices and narratives from the collections that illustrate the richness of the social and cultural history
1: of the Auckland region. Ina e mana ina e reo e iwi e te katoa. Kia ora hui hui mai tātou katoa. Warmest of greetings to all who have gathered for the session today, to those that are here in the Fadi, and to those on Zoom wherever you may be. No mai Harimai, mai, and thank you for taking the time to be together for this hour. I firstly want to acknowledge mana whenua standing here, Ngāti Whātua orake, and further the mana whenua across Tamaki Makaurau, the Kūia and Kōmatua, the energy of the Rangatahi who hold the stories of the whenua, of manga, waterways, harbours, and ancestors. I feel your aroha and hear your struggles for mana I want to acknowledge the generosity of our colleagues at Poi Otamaki, the Art, Auckland Art Gallery, who have given us this fari while our space is in repair. And I also want to acknowledge the central research team who put this heritage talk together, and the mahi that sits behind that, my colleagues from the Heritage Engagement Team for their support, and thank you for the invitation to talk today. As introduced, well, actually I'm introducing myself. <laughs> Call Sue to Queen My name's Sue Berman. I um, have a role with Ngā Pāthaka Auckland Libraries, and it's had many different year- names over the years, including oral historian, principal oral history and sound, and now principal oral history advisor. What is consistent at least are the words, oral history. And it is this collection and collecting that I'm passionate about, and where the title of this talk, The Stories We Tell, finds its base. But just for some additional context, <laughs> as I'm not exactly sure who's listening out there, um, and I believe there may be some other library people from around them or two. Um, I work for Auckland Council and are now in a newly established directorate to connected communities. I'm part of a heritage unit that includes collections and engagements teams across a number of format specialists. And we work closely with research and information services across the four points of the compass. Auckland libraries broad strategic framework includes the vision of connected, empowered communities with a focus on four areas, which you can see here. The easily recognisable value of oral history collections is in the promise Tonga toko iho, legacy, we preserve our past, ensure our future, but also in developing collections and projects in the spirit of Tato, belonging, to bring communities together, and with an additional mandate for creating new collections in support of whakatipu te reo Māori, growing te reo Māori. We hold both oral histories and sound recordings that contribute to a diverse and ranging Auckland Stories archive, but there's always room for more. My role is to help identify where the gaps are and to actively support and advise oral history or story collecting projects to manage with care and celebrate the collection through making it accessible, encouraging its use in publications and on platforms like podcasts or in exhibitions. My favorite photo in the collection. Today, I will talk briefly about the method of oral history and the value it brings to collections. Share how you can find and access the range of collections. And then as promised in the blurb, I'll share some voices from the collections. People are often confused about what is oral history. On an occasion, I was asked if it was doing the history of dentistry. Mm -hmm. Of course it could be, but luckily it's more than that. In a sentence, oral history captures the recollections and memories of a person's lived experiences. Sometimes this is done in relation to a topic or interest, and sometimes they are broader life histories. Oral history involves doing research and connecting with a person or people before a planned interview takes place between an interviewer and interviewee using an open but themed set of talking points or questions. Oral history interviews encourage recollections beyond the dry bones of dates and times, often encouraging interviewees to describe things in the fullness of memory. This might include how it felt or associated smells, sounds, or observations. They are rich in detail and help give researchers who draw on them as a primary resource, a sense of occasion or a more nuanced detail than what otherwise might be presented in the official record. Good practice from a technical point of view includes using quality recording equipment to create lasting and clear and audible records for future generations to access. In Auckland libraries, most of our oral history collections are sound recorded interviews. Some are what we call sound archives or recordings of events and talks. But having said that, the use of audiovisual or video is becoming increasingly popular. And as a collecting institution, we are beginning to prepare ourselves for more of this kind of digital material for storage and preservation. We have almost entirely digitized the analog oral history collection, migrating from real to real tapes, magnetic tapes, dictaphone tapes, those tiny little ones, to digital formats. And just a quick side note to those who have um, under their beds boxes of tapes and VHS or somewhere in the garage um, that you've been meaning to deal with, um, these objects have limited shelf life and expertise are suggesting really only a matter of years. So don't delay, go dig them out. Before moving away from the discussion of oral history as a method of recording histories, I wanted to briefly mention this new and thought expanding work by the immediate past president of the National Oral History Association and history academic from Waikato University, Dr. Nepia Mahuika. In his Oxford University published Rethinking Oral History and Tradition, he draws on his hapu and iwi nāti Pero experiences to challenge Western oral history scholarship on ways to engage with the methods and values grounded in indigenous knowledge and scholarship. It's a great resource, particularly here for us in Aotearoa. If you're working within an academic or institutional setting, I strongly recommend this book and Auckland Libraries has copies. So I hope that for many of you, this is a familiar looking web page. It's Kura Heritage Collections Online. This is where you can uncover our heritage collections, searchable by particular formats or by theme or name across all different formats, um, or particularly within a format. So I've um, snipped snipped a little bit so I could get my oral history tile up the top here. But basically, (laughs) (laughs) because it's further down. It's kind of based on the number of items in the collection. So photographs is always first. Um, But basically on this landing page is a place in which you can access the different formats. And you can use the search button at the top to go across all formats or go into particular formats. The oral history and sound collections have a regional difference. Some areas have richer, deeper and more focused collections of place and people than others. And this comes from our pre-amalgamation landscape. For example, the North Shore and Waitakere libraries had an active in-house program of recording and collecting oral history going back some years, which gives strength to the Northwest content. While the central isthmus through Auckland city libraries had a moment of concentrated collecting in the early nineties have otherwise gathered a rich storehouse of sound and oral history through donations. The South collection is young by comparison, but includes, for example, recently digitized sound archives of talks presented to local historical societies from the early 1980s, and a series of interviews commissioned at the time of amalgamation with the then sitting Monaco city council, councillors. There's all sorts of examples through the collection of these legacy projects that happened at the various points of amalgamation across the region. The point of discovery of these collections is kura heritage collections online. We have over 2000 oral history items described and probably about half again to still get up online with more content coming all the time. We do our best to turn it around as quickly as possible to make it discoverable, but there's always a backlog. So just a last little romp through the how to access. That's the address of of Kura and you can do this on your phone or you can do this back at your computer. But if you click on the tile oral history, it will take you to a page that looks like this. It lists the collection in order of date. So that's the earliest um, collection we have, that uh, collection of New Zealand authors. It's a sound archive. And then at the side, it lists the collections by the number of items in each of the collections. So I've just snipped across three of those, so you can see, hopefully, um, the, the breadth of the sorts of collections that are there. It's a snapshot of a few of the collections that have been described. Some of these collections go back some time. For example, the Mount Wellington Oral History Project was conducted in 1982, around the amalgamation of the borough into Auckland City, and the Glen Eden Oral History Project has a similar genus. These older projects have been priceless to go back to as they describe life, work and play in Auckland from the early 1900s through major social history events like the depression, world wars, migrations. Not surprisingly, there are many migration stories across the collections, including a number that reflect Māori migration to Auckland from other parts of the for work. A more recent migrant story collection, you can see in the third column here, Vasanti Niswa's Charitable Trust, who records the stories and experiences through the Women's Trust, which was set up to support socially isolated senior citizens of India and South Asia living in Auckland. Collections of interviews are great for including multiple voices and perspectives on a topic. And we're very pleased to be a trusted repository for a number of community generation, generated projects. These are often generated at times of anniversaries or celebrations like the Rainbow Youth Collection which was recorded to celebrate their 10 year anniversary. Included in this listing and also a sound archive rather than an oral history archive is of note is the Going West Festival. A collection of the full festival plus photos and ephemera gives the sound collection a depth and manner as it houses the voices of our poet laureates writers, musicians, artists, and conversation for a celebrated 25 years. Right, once you've been on the page for the landing page and then you've looked perhaps at a collection, I'll show you what it would look like if you went to, well, that looks a bit small, can you see? Into an actual item at an individual level. Here you can see a description of an interview with Natu Chiba in 2013. It's part of a collection of interviews. On the the side there you can see collection, the Dominion Road Stories. You can see the name of the interviewer, Suji, and the description on each of these records will tell you basically what to expect to hear in the recording, offers some subject headings. Many of the records, but not all, have media attached to them so that you might see an image and also be able to listen to a sound clip, as this one does. In order to access a collection, you need to be in touch with us in Heritage or Research Services, and we arrange for a listening and viewing of the time-coded abstract. Some recordings have accompanying transcripts, and some have additional accompanying material like photos or albums. We have not yet, as an institution, moved to putting full recordings online. But we're looking at setting up a more secure system for delivering digital files to registered researchers for access off site, because there is quite a demand. Right. So, the most difficult thing for the session for me today was making a selection um, of content to share, partly because oral history generally takes a bit of listening. The value is often in the long lingering pauses and the non-linear remembering that people often jump to when being interviewed. Researchers who use our collections find them to be rewarding to listen fully. Collections generally do not come as pre-curated sound bites or with just well-oiled stories like you would see in something like this, which has had production added to it. Oral histories are potted with the recollections of everyday people about everyday things, but in them are often gems of descriptive information that can be quite transporting across time and place. People's accents and speech patterns add another real value. And we always encourage people to listen if able, rather than to read a transcript in order to get those nuances. So, I have chosen some clips today and I decided in the end to go with the four compasses, points, north. I don't think I've done them necessarily in order, but it does start with north, south, east, west, and um, a bonus track for the central. And here we are in the north. Um, This clip is from an interview with um, a woman called Olive Ashbury from the Birkenhead City Council Oral History Project. It was recorded in 1991 and was chosen for an exhibition that we had titled Don't Leave Town Till You've Seen the Country about domestic tourism in New Zealand. It illustrated how what is now a highly developed part of Auckland North Code was once her family's holiday destination. Let's have a listen, remembering that this was recorded using cassette tapes and has been digitized so the sound quality may not be as crisp and you may want to close your eyes in order to listen more easily.
2: So Beechhaven, when you first came to Burkdale, was a holiday place? Yes, it was. Yeah. Not many people lived there all year
0: round. It hadn't been opened up very long from farming uh, district, and it was someone took it over, I suppose, and cut it up into sections. And... Uh, I know my mother bought one and my aunt bought a section there and, and uh, mother bought uh, mother had a little cottage built on hers and we used to go down there for holidays from Birkenhead <laughs> 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 and we used to love it because it was... it was a holiday atmosphere in those days and. Uh, there a store on the corner, of the post office, and they also ran a tennis club on their back section. And we used to play tennis there. And there was swimming. And um, just a holiday atmosphere. There were a lot of pine trees on the section another uh, board. Was that on actual Beach Haven Road? It was in Territory, right off, the first one off on the right-hand side, going down. And uh, we used to erect tents on our section under the trees. We had two sections. And uh, we had uh, wooden floors in these tents, and they were quite high. We just used to live there for the whole of the holiday period. And I used to come, I was working by then in the government buildings in Customs Street. I worked for the Marine Department and used to come up to Beech Haven by, by boat in the evening. Was that the ferry boats came right up to Beech ferry boats, more. they were launchers privately, and launches. Interesting. No, nice in the summertime. We never went down there in the
1: winter. And this would be. Just going to cut it there. I chose this clip of first of all to say there are many recollections um, in the collection of time spent in recreation um, and holidays. It's uh, across the regional collection. We're going to find those sorts of stories. Um, but I chose this clip because it has an additional story, which I wanted to share with you. When the exhibition was on, I got an email from the daughter of uh, of Olive Ashbury. Um, She had come to the exhibition with her granddaughters. She did not know that her mother's voice featured in the exhibition, or that there was even a recording of her in our collection she was delighted to discover that Auckland Libraries had this recording and that she was able to share with her granddaughters their great-grandmother's voice. It's one of the real joys of this job, reconnecting the older voices in our collections with later generations of families. Often, even when a person is interviewed on a topic or about a neighbourhood, for example, like we're currently doing in Oranga, the interviews start with a biographical detail, where they grew up, something about the families. So collections can be great resources for family historians too. Right, return the page. Synonymous with the West, the Corbin family were an early Lebanese family of West Auckland, grape growers and winemakers. I really pass an opportunity to play this clip as I feel it's such a great illustration of the value of oral history. It's able Helena is able to paint both a detailed and nuanced picture of the family dynamic and the business in a really short period of time and through her voice we get a sense of her humor and herself in the world something we would not have if we were reading this off the page. Helena. Um, Jamila Acid Corbin was born in February 1911, the youngest daughter of the pioneer winemaker Asid and Najibi Corbin. She married George Tyre and had five children and she played an active role in the family business. She was interviewed at length in 2003 using a tape recorder and a video player. Here is just the
3: sound clip. You want to know what we girls did? We used to go down into the, into the cellar. We'd help with the, uh, first of all, we'd help with the washing of bottles before we went to school. And they'd be put on the racks outside to dry. And when we came home, we had to help my brother with the bottling of the wine. And then when the bottles were filled, we'd have to cork them. He'd steam the corks. And because my brother was blind, we'd have to feed the corking machine and we'd say to him, don't squash our finger as we're putting the corks in the machine. And then after that, we'd have to put the capsules on the bottles, And we had a leather strap nailed to the table. And we used to twist that around the capsule and bring it down. And that would make the capsule tight on the top of the bottle. Then we used to do the labelling by hand. That was before they had a labelling machine. And we had to make sure that the labels were dry before we wrapped the bottles again in uh, crepe paper so that the labels would be clean. And then we'd have to pack those uh, bottles in a straw covering and pack them into a 12-container box. And those boxes weighed 56 pounds. And when I used to work in the business and was in the sales part of it, I used to lift those boxes five high. I oh, used to swing them up quite easily. I had good muscles.
1: <laughs> I think you can agree with the value of oral history from that clip in terms of both a mixture of the kind of detail um, that she had in her remembering um, and the humor and, and spirit that she brought to, to her work as a girl in the in the binary. This clip is drawn from the South collection. Rather than from an oral history, this is taken from a talk given to the Māngari Historical Society. Mabel Mihinirangi Kiwene, MBE, was born at Māngari in 1920. The whānau were originally from the wākato, she's the great granddaughter of Kewene Hāho of Kafia. In a talk delivered to the Māngari Bridge Historical Society in 1983, she tells the story of her father's work as a te reo speaker and translator in the Māori land courts and of memories of her childhood growing up in Māngari. In this extract, she talks about the abundance and rights to collect Kaimawana in the Manukau Harbor, a time before the extended pollution in the harbor from industry and later sewage outlet destroyed those food beds. The sound quality is interesting. So um, it's because it was delivered in a community hall. So you're going to get something of the background and atmospheric of that community hall, including some um, audience response. One could say it adds to the soundscape, but it takes some listening. Um, I've actually left this with an introduction, which you'll hear. It's drawn from um, one of our podcasts and was related to an exhibition titled Food for Thought. So it starts with some music so you can get your ear in. listening to Food for Thought, a series that takes a bite into food-related stories from the Auckland Library's Heritage Collections and beyond. It's a recipe for good listening. In this track, Sue Berman finds voices from the Auckland Library's oral history and sound archives that relate to fish and fishing. We begin with the voice of Mabel Kiwini who in 1983 delivered a talk to the Mangere Bridge Historical Society that included reflections of growing up in the area. Here she describes gathering shellfish in the Manukau Harbour off the coast of Mangere.
4: The shellfish which abounded in the harbour at the time would just have to be tasted to be believed. You may recall that the rocks um, fronting the beach where Maori reserves and it was a great joy for us as children to go home from school and be able to um, grab a slice of bread and butter and jam and a hammer in one hand and go out and crack these oysters on the rocks and have our school friends having to remain on shore and watch us do this. <laughs> The, at the party hall. I think the child had to stand on shore and we would say, ah, ah. <laughs> and so these are happy thoughts that returned in there. We would drag in literally uh, sugar bag thoughts of beautiful columns, which abounded along the sandbanks during the very late spring tide. Uh, pippies abounded and mussels abounded and there was fish for everybody. I can recall my dad going out uh, with his flounder, with his spear floundering and catching anything up to 60 flounders a night and giving them all away the to our neighbours. They were so us.
2: Yeah.
1: I hope that becomes the case in the future again, scallops and the sandbags in spring. So lastly, on the compass, compass point, the East, creating exhibitions across the regions offer us an opportunity to share oral history collections. Prior to developing our podcast platform, access to sound clips like this were activated in exhibitions by viewers picking up headphones or pushing things on, on touchscreens. We still do present sound this way in situ during exhibitions, but we've also published to a wider audience of Auckland Libraries, followers through YouTube or more commonly on our podcast platform. A couple of years back now, we themed an exhibition, House and Home, Reflections on Domestic Life. Another good, solid bit of content throughout the oral history collections on that theme. This clip was selected from a series of interviews about the suburban growth of Pakaranga in the late 60s and 70s, a new suburb in the then green fields of Southeast Auckland. In this this remembering, and it's edited a little bit in the middle um, because of time, we hear both a personal and political reflection from Janice Grace.
5: We probably all had the Plunkett in our lives with our new babies. I think the only protest march I've ever been on was for Plunkett down Queen Street. Um, A generation, two generations down when my niece was... Taking they all took the pushchairs and went up Queen Street. And this was when they were threatened with redundancy. But I was so grateful for the Plunket and for the help that I got there. Many of the young mothers had no family nearby. We were considered to be living by others out in the Wops and really out in the country. And so loneliness and isolation was felt by many. Very few had cars. They might have had a car in the family as time went on, but Dad needed that to get to work. So it was probably, for a lot of us, not until the children were six years old, which was, say, seven years after getting here, you know, that we got a car. And, oh, that made a huge difference. Telephone in a car. It's absolutely huge, you know. Packerang was considered an upwardly mobile area of young men on the way up in their careers. Long hours were spent by them away from home. My own husband travelled at least five months a year. Many of the women in the community were in the same position. And of course, our place was at home with our children. That was how it was. Then you were expected to be at home when your children got home from school. And we didn't have any TV. We didn't have any parenting courses or coffee groups or cars, a lot of us, so I think it made us very resilient,
1: but some fell through the cracks. This interview was done by colleague Karen Lawson, and Karen has just relaunched a new series of recordings that she's wanting to do about growing up or raising a family in Pakaranga and she's looking at the 80s and 90s now so if you find yourself in that place please do get in touch. And here's a central clip for you. This is referencing Potter's Park um, which of course is on the corner of Barmoral um, and what is it? <laughs> Dominion Road of course it is. <laughs> um, it's uh, always controversial, this clip, when I share this in training. Let's have a listen. It's Melody and Grant, Mel, Grant interviewed for the Dominion Road Stories project.
6: Uh, the next probably positive memory was the fair that used to come to Potters Park once a year, something all the children looked forward to with terrific joy. The fair was a very big affair, not a lot of stalls like they would have now, but with merry-go-rounds and the famous octopus, which was quite a gadget. Yes. Tell me about the octopus. Well, the octopus was so desired by children to ride on it was, you sat in bucket seats and on chains and when it was started up it revolved and you spun out like the tentacles of an octopus. And I saved all my pocket money, which was a shilling a week, for a very long time and one t- fair decided I would spend it all on riding on the octopus. Well, I don't know how many rides I had but by the time I finally came off, I could hardly stand up, and I was so bilious that I never rode the octopus ever again. My goodness
1: you might ask why this clip is controversial. Well, it's to do with the name of the ride. For some, this is definitely called the octopus. And for others, they think it's called the teacups and others call it the swing chair um, ride. But regardless, for um, Melody Ann, it was a memorable enough um, event to share. And for that, we are grateful as it's such a great conversation starter. Finding content on childhood memories, games, favorite foods, festivals, transport, all those themes are common across most of the oral histories. They are foundational questions in an oral history interview. These everyday details gathered across decades, ages, cultures and communities of identity is part of the essence of oral oral history and what makes this collection a great resource for social history. So I've played you some clips um, and taken um, that have been taken from fuller interviews, of course. They hold which hold numerous more reference and riches. Um, and I've showed you the way to discover these collections using Kura Heritage Collections online. But additionally, if you are short of time, you might also enjoy a look through our podcast platform. Um, there are series. Uh, this is a sort of a snapshot of some of the earlier playlists um, in, in, in these series, uh, like the Food for Thought track. They've been often curated from um, older collections. And sometimes we're set about collecting new material uh, for the very purpose of supporting perhaps an exhibition. So an example here, that top right, left-hand corner um, is the Westfield Freezing Work, Stepping Back into the Shed. It's a wonderful blend of material drawn from older collections, work stories, with a bonus of newly recorded tracks, which came through connecting with people with the work who had worked there. A great collection of lesser told work stories curated by colleague Sharon Smith. The images you're looking at are just sort of snippets of the tiles from playlists published on Auckland Libraries podcast. Discoverable through your favorite platform, Spotify, SoundCloud, iTunes, whatever you use. It includes this material that is curated uh, from the old clips, but it also includes recorded events such as this, heritage talks, heritage concerts, a weekly literary discussion and collaborations like the Going West um, collection. Uh, For those of you who have tuned in through the Uncover Auckland programme, We've curated um, a number of tracks across different series for a special Uncover Auckland playlist. This has a focus on kai and fenua which I recommend as part of the library's We Read Auckland events. Some of you might recognise yourself amongst those playlists. You can see at the right at the right hand side, they've enjoyed some good listening. So we publish regularly. Um, Books and Beyond is, is a weekly show of literary conversation and Kura Tuturu, a monthly expose of an item normally to be found in the Auckland Libraries Heritage Trust Real Gold case in the Reading Room, but currently just online. Um, this series is an exploration and conversation of interest related to special items from the Heritage Collection. Generally, in terms of this work, it's really heartening to see so many great projects on the go. A lot of interest for recording stories of elders, of important historical events, of lesser told or heard perspectives. Um, Those that are relevant for now, but also for future curators, researchers, and communities to uncover. At Auckland Libraries, we actively support projects by sharing expertise and making equipment available to the recording so the recordings can have lasting value. But there is more to this work than pushing the record button. If you're interested in doing oral history, I suggest attending a workshop. I hope to offer one that's open to the community later in the year, but the Alexandra Turnbull Library team are offering a workshop in Auckland shortly. And I'll also be supporting a Pacific Arts Centre workshop running with Manitou Tonga, Ministry of History and Culture, to support Pacific projects for funding into the next year's oral History awards. So please be in touch if you're interested in that. Well, I wasn't sure on timing, Oh yes, I think we've got time for another clip. I left it in there. So this is um, a much loved photographic collection. Uh, You'll recognize it as, images drawn from the Reichenberg collection, um, and it's an amazing collection of images that came to us um, from a donation from Wendy Wright, who was involved with the Reichenberg business. I think initially she said something like, was it 60,000 frames, and it turned, turned into a million? Anyway, it's, um, it, it shows Auckland City in the 50s through to the 90s, 80s, It's street photography, it's fashion, it's clubs, it's ship arrivals, um, and it's really uh, beautifully celebrated. And when the team were putting a project together to help to identify some of the people and places, um, we talked about the potential of capturing some of the stories that surfaced through oral history. So I was really pleased to be able to do that, including a extensive interview with the donor um, about the business and the context behind the collection. Um, and in that process too, I was introduced to another Wendy, a Wendy Moore, who was a jazz singer um, at the time in the clubs, um, a fashion loving woman about time, about, about town. And here she is. <laughs> so I've selected this fashion uh, fashionista clip to finish. Um, It's really about
2: the lengths and pains of being in vogue. So coming into fashion in that era, along came full skirts, stiff petticoats, a bra called a torsolette, which was a strapless bra that went down to the waist and was boned. So it pulled your waist in. It had hooks and eyes up the front. Look at your face. Hooks and eyes up the front um, to cinch your waist in and to push your boobs up. They would come in a half cup as well. So you'd wear these under these dresses with stiff petticoats. Well, the girls that had money could buy tulle petticoats with millions of layers of ruffles. But we would make our petticoats out of cotton, which we would then starch. Every Saturday morning, and then iron so they were really stiff mm. for the Saturday night dance. But nylon stockings and suspender belts were also in vogue, and these damn stiff petticoats mm. with the starch would tear up your stockings.
1: It's hard, <laughs> i <been> a <laughs> So in finishing, um, in time for some questions or comments, um, I remind you that this is your place of discovery. Um, I challenge you to go to Kora Heritage Collections online and search a topic of interest um, in the oral history collection and see what you find. If there's nothing, I'll be very pleased to hear from you. I'm committed to working with people and communities to record diverse voices and experiences the loves and challenges of life in Tāmaki Makaurau so that in 50 to 100 years time we can have voices that in their own words tell us of the lived experiences of Tāmaki Makaurau in the 2020s. Nā mihinui nui, katoa. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for more
0: tracks in this Heritage Talk series or visit the Auckland Library's website for other podcast tracks, kia mana ho. Enjoy!